There waits for me a glad tomorrow Where gates of pearl swing open wide And when I pass this veil of sorrow I'll rest upon the other side Someday beyond the reach of mortal can Someday God only knows just when When the of mortal life shall all stand still and I shall go to dwell on Zion's Someday the dark clouds will be rifted And all the night of gloom be past And all life's burdens will be lifted The day of rest shall come at last someday beyond the reach of mortal can someday God only knows just when when the wheel of mortal life shall all stand still and I shall go to dwell on Zion's can sing when I pause to remember a heartache here is but a stepping stone along the trail that's winding always upward this troubled world is not my final home. But until then, my heart will go on singing. Until then, 
then with joy I'll carry on until the day my eyes behold that city until the day God calls me home The things of earth will dim and lose their value when we recall their borrowed for a while and things of earth that cause the heart to tremble remembered there will only bring a smile but until then my heart will go on singing until then with joy I'll carry day my eyes behold that city until the day God calls me if you think he's something now, you should have heard him when he was a young man uh, singing those wonderful old hymns. Jim, what a joy. What a blessing it has been this week. And Kenny, I want to thank you for uh, having both he and myself here. And church, thank you for allowing that to take place for two old octogenarians that started out a long time ago preaching the gospel. And then to spend 15, 16 years together and watch God gathering a great harvest of people, Sunday after Sunday, people being saved. And it was a wonderful, wonderful thing in our lives. And uh, I, won't, uh, I won't go any further, Jim, than you've gone, but what a joy it has been to be with you once again. And it's been a joy to be in this church. I sat here on this pew a while ago and felt the presence of God in this place. And my heart went up to Him in worship and praise. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, there's nothing like it when God meets with His people. Now, God is present everywhere. But His manifest presence, His I want to say tangible, but it's not tangible, but it's almost tangible when the Holy Spirit comes with His people and 
lifts up the Lord Jesus to our view. That's the job of the Holy Spirit is to, is to give us view of Jesus and he, who He is and what He's about. What a wonderful Savior is. Well, I told you tonight would be the sweetest sermon that you've ever heard. And I'm going to hold to it. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament story or narrative here that is just wonderful. And we're going to look at this tonight. In Judges chapter 14, I want to begin reading at verse 1 and read through verse 9. Judges chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman, uh, a daughter among your relatives or among our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord that he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hands, he tore the lion in pieces as one would tear a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked to the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out of the, uh, into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you know, when you open your Bibles to read them, and you read certain passages of Scripture, we need to keep in mind that uh, generally there are three things true about every scripture. First of all, there is what we would call the primary interpretation of the scripture. For instance, we read this. That's the primary reading. Uh, We see there was a story. We see what it's about. And uh, so we have the facts of it. uh, And there it is clear before us. The primary interpretation is what we have just read here. But Scripture also, in so many cases, has what we call a prophetic revelation. That is, sometimes it looks beyond just the factual 
historical, contextual scripture that you just read. And it will have an emphasis upon something perhaps further down the road. And of course, a number of the Psalms are that way. We call them the Messianic Psalms. Those are the Psalms, many of them, that David wrote. And David talks about a, about a particular condition in which he finds himself. But in that psalm, it is plain to see that some of the things he's talking about is not really a practical application to him, but rather it's looking forward to the greater than David, David's son, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see messianic truth, truth of the Messiah, that is bound up in that particular psalm. And there are a number of messianic psalms uh, in the scripture. So you have a primary interpretation, and you have a prophetic uh, interpretation, revelation, and then you have a practical application. Now this is what Christians need to learn about the Word of God. And that is when we read the Scripture, there are certain questions we ought to ask ourselves. For instance, when I read a passage of Scripture, should I not ask myself, is there a command here that I should obey? Or perhaps is there an example here that I should follow? Or is there a promise here that I should believe? Or is there an error here that's pointed out in my life that I should correct? Or is there a blessing here that I am to receive? You see, that's what the reading of the Word of God does. It gives these things to us, and we have to, we have to kind of analyze the Scripture as to how we can apply it to our life. And the Bible is not worth uh, anything to a person who reads it and makes no application. God didn't give us the Bible just to satisfy our curiosity. He gave the Bible to us to change us. The truth of the Word of God is to change us as we apply the principles of God's Word to our life. Now, this primary uh, interpretation that I was talking about, you see what this is. It's just one of the judges, one of the many judges that God raised up uh, to deliver his people from their disobedience. Uh, they, would, uh, they would sin and, and they would repent and beg God for help and he'd send a judge. This was before the kings, you know. They later wanted a king like the rest of them, everybody else had a king. Uh, but God had these judges that would come and rule over the people and uh, deliver them. God used them. Samson is a case in point. And then if we look at this prophetically, uh, we would like to say that Samson in this particular case could represent well our Lord Jesus Christ. And the lion, the opposing being, a lion who walks up and down the earth roaring, seeking whom he may devour, would represent, would it not, Satan himself. And this battle that takes place here, this raging battle that took place between Samson and this lion, Samson quickly overwhelmed him and won the victory over the lion. Now, practically, we could say that some of these things that we read in this scripture have a wonderful personal application. And I want you to keep this in mind now as we move through the scripture. Uh, first of all, we see some of the duties that we have as Christians reflected in this scripture. We see some of the dangers 
that we as Christians face as well. Uh, We see some of the disciplines that must be applied to our lives as we live our daily lives. And, of course, we see some of the delicacies, the, the wonderful things that we enjoy because we are Christians, and some of the delights that come to us through Christ. So this is what I want to do then. I want us to look at this passage of Scripture, and I want to divide it into three things that I think we could, we could uh, be helped by and perhaps uh, encouraged by. Uh, I want to look first at uh, what Samson faced uh, as he faced the lion. He faced a real and danger conflict. Uh, I want us to think about the conflicts that you and I face. As Christians, we are going to face conflicts, whether we like it or not. And then in the second place, we're not always facing conflicts. A lot of times we are enjoying confections, which means sweet things in our life. And then I finally, I want us to talk about how we as God's people communicate this life that we have in Christ with others. So let's think for a moment now about the conflict of the Christian life. The scripture says here, doesn't it, in verse 5, Samson went down with his father and mother, and they came to this vineyard. And the Bible said, Behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Now, Samson wasn't uh, thinking about lions, of course. He was thinking about this beautiful woman, obviously, and about taking her as a wife into his life. He wasn't thinking about uh, a, a, a day of conflict at all. wasn't on his mind. But that's what happened. As he made his way to this place where she lived, uh, there stepped a young lion into his pathway. And now he's going to engage himself in this battle with this lion. Thankfully, he overcomes it. Now, the first thing I would say to you, and particularly if you're a young Christian, you're going to face conflicts in your life as a child of God. They are going to be there. And I was greatly surprised. When I was saved, I was saved in the army, and I didn't have much help. Uh, I didn't have much teaching. Uh, I I just uh, kind of, you know, just twisting in the wind. I I knew that my life had changed, but I didn't know anything past that much. And uh, so I would run into problems as a young Christian that made me wonder if I was even a Christian or not. And I I doubted sometimes. I, I hate to tell you how ignorantly I was, but... But uh, we, you know, was in Germany, and they grow potatoes in Germany. And right next to our concern, where uh, Hitler's troops used to be, there we were, they had a great big potato field. I mean, it was, I don't know how many acres it was. But as a young Christian, I'd walk out to the edge of what was safe for us, I guess, and look out over that potato field and the moon, the stars. And, and, and you know, now this is pitiful, but I would say to God, Lord, would, if I'm really yours, if I'm really saved, would you just let lightning strike? I mean, so I'd be sure that I know 
that I'm a Christian. It never happened. Never happened. But I asked for that. Now, that's ignorant, isn't it? And you know what caused that? I had conflicts uh, that had come to my life, temptations that had come to my life. And I thought, my goodness, uh, I wonder if I'm really saved. I mean, I struggled with that even until I got home and, uh, and, and united with the church and was baptized. Uh, and some of the folks that I went to church with was about as ignorant as I was. <laughs> they didn't know much more than I did. In fact, I found out some of the preachers were on the edge of it. And, 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 and I just wondered, is this going to be the way the Christian life is? You mark this down. Is, listen, Israel is a great type of what we face as Christians. They, they went through, as we were reminded the other night, they were, God was taking them to a land of what? Hills and valleys. Here and there. Have you ever been up here? Oh, yes, I know you were. And you were shouting and praising God and thanking for the sunshine. But let me ask you, are you ever going down to that again? You will. And you'll wonder why God lets this happen. I mean, I was, I was just so happy up here. And all of a sudden, these things are breaking around me. I mean, Israel, they had to deal with that ruler. You remember him? Pharaoh, they had to deal with the rigors of the desert life, the nomadic life out there in the desert. They had to deal with the residents of that country when he finally went into the promised land. All those ites, you know, Canaanites and Hivites and Jebusites and all kinds of ites. They were always tormenting Israel. They faced these conflicts. Now, when you come to the New Testament and the New Testament talks about who you are, the metaphors of, that are used to describe the Christian are something like soldiers. You're to be a good soldier. Now, if I'm not mistaken, soldiers are people who have battles to fight. Soldiers are, are people who train for certain occasions. And we're called soldiers. We're called athletes. We're called pilgrims. We're talking about journeying through a very unfriendly world. We are going to find conflicts in our life. They're going to be there. And sometimes these conflicts are going to be fierce. And they're going to be ferocious. It wasn't a, it wasn't a house cat. That It wasn't a little tongue cat that faced this man. The Bible says it was a lion and he was a young lion and he was a strong lion and he was a virile lion and he was at the zenith of his power and sometimes that's the kind of conflict we experience also. I mean, it can be ferocious. It can knock the breath out of you. It can, it can just decapitate de de you, it seems like, at times. Well, conflicts come. And you know when they come? Sometimes they come when you least expect it to come. Isn't that right? I mean, wasn't it a beautiful day? Wasn't it just wonderful? Bam! And you wonder where that come from. Well, conflicts come. They don't come by announcement. They don't call for an appointment. They come. And there we are. 
They, they come when we least expect them. And I'll tell you something else. They come when we're least prepared for it. Samson had nothing in his hand. I'm quite sure he looked for a rock. He must have looked for a limb. And there he's facing that line. Barehanded. But you know where the help came? The Bible said the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he took that lion and he rent him as though a person would rent a little baby goat. The Spirit of the Lord. See, this is where our hope comes from and our help comes from. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. What is it you're going to need when the ferocious things come, when the heartbreaking things come, when you, when you get a bad report from the MRI uh, or, or the CAT scan and the doctor comes in shaking his head and you're going home now to tell the family bad news, not good news, but bad news. You can hardly talk about it without weeping. You know it's going to upset them. You know life is tightening in on you now. The conflicts that come to us, these, these burdens that come to us. But I want to tell you, if there's ever a time when we need the wisdom of God, if there's ever a time when we need the strength of God, if there's ever a time when we need to be encouraged from God, it's when we face our conflicts. And may I tell you that God, who lives in us by His Holy Spirit, is there to give you everything you need to face the conflict, whatever it is and whenever it comes. Now, that's the first thing I see about this passage of Scripture. But then I see something wonderful. He came back down the road, same road, sometime later, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And lo and behold, uh, there was a beehive there. A beehive of all things. And they had produced honey. And there he was looking at a beehive filled with honey. Well, you know, that's a strange thing, isn't it? That he would find something so sweet in the place of his worst conflict. Kind of strange, isn't it? You know what Charles Spurgeon said? He said, in the place of his bitterest conflict, there came the sweetest fruit. Out of the severest trial comes the richest reward. Don't ever forget that, Christian. Don't ever forget it. The trials that you have, God sins. I have prostate cancer. I didn't order it. I didn't want it, but it came. Oh, you say the devil caused it. No, the devil doesn't rule my life. God does. See, I believe in a sovereign God. I believe in a God that knows the word you'll speak before you speak it. I believe in the God who says, I've already numbered your days. I know the day that I'll call you. We don't, but he does. I know the God who is so sovereign that old R.C. Sproul used to say, if there was one errant rebellious molecule in the universe that God didn't control, then he would not be sovereign. But you see, we worship a sovereign God, a God who is God, a God who is God. 
I preached a sermon, I preached a sermon here not long ago on this great God we worship. You know what my first point was? He's not at all like you. I know some think they have deity in their blood. I know some think they are omniscient and know everything. But you're not at all like God. Nothing can be compared to Him. He's God. There's no comparison. You can't say about God, well, He's like. No, He's not like. Anything that you know, He's God. And I'll tell you, we live today in a day where men are so prideful that they think God's will resolves around them. That they will do or won't do whatever they wish. I want to tell you something, folks. God can send some, some things in your life that will make you want to do His will. He can make you want to do His will. Don't ever think, I won't do what God wants me to do. There'll be 10, I'm going to come to that in a minute. There'll be 10,000 things He'll line up for you as an obstacle course so that you'll get so weary after a while you'll throw in the towel and you'll say, Lord, I submit my life to you. Let me tell you something, folks. These terrible things that happen in our life, I'll tell you why God's doing that here in just a moment. But, but, but what I'm trying to get you to see is that these conflicts have purpose. They have, they have an end. God has an end in mind for that trial through which you're going. Uh, I don't know why uh, God takes people from us out of our homes. I've lost two sons from my family. One in a Jeep and one on a motorcycle. I don't know why that happens. I just know it happens. He said, oh, but Brother Stallings, he, 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 he ought, to take, uh, to, ought to take the children of drunkards or dope uh, dealers and all that. Well, listen, folks, unsaved people have got their own problems. The best life they're going to live is on this earth, and then they're going to hell. What happens to us in the trials that God sends us is a purposeful thing to make us and continue making us and continue making us until He makes us to be the thing He had in mind to begin with. He's going to fulfill that in every one of us who belong to Him. He is God. And He is right on schedule with all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Now, I said we're not always going through trials. We're sometimes eating candy. And uh, on, this, on this occasion, we're eating honey. This man, out of the bitter place of conflict, out of the worst thing he had been through, he went back and there's honey in that. I want to remind you that on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ fought the battle, the greatest on this earth that he ever fought. You remember that? He hung there, uh, uh, suspended between heaven and earth, as if he was fit for neither one, between two thieves. There he hung. He cried, My father, my, why art thou abandoning me? You don't think that was something? In fact, it was so terrible that God draped 
three hours of it. While he took his wrath, God's wrath, and aimed it at this one who hung upon the cross. And he bore our wrath. It was due me, it was due you, but it fell on him. Can we not say that out of that experience came the greatest fruit human beings have ever known? The salvation of sinners. From that experience, honey ran down the hill. Look at, look at this man. He takes this up. I want you to turn. By the way, I want you to turn to the honey chapter of the Bible. I'm waiting until you tell me which chapter. Uh, some of you say, well, I know chapter 13 talks about love. That would be a good one. Well, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, talks about resurrection. John 3 talks about uh, God's fellow of the world. You, the honey chapter, folks, I'm talking about, it's Romans chapter 8. Bible preachers and Bible teachers have always said that the book of Romans is the, is the epitome of divine truth that God has given us. And the center of that epitome is the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. The 8th chapter. Look at it here now for just a moment. I want you to look. You, you, you can hear it. I know you can hear it. But when you see it, read it, you can retain it better. Now look at Romans 8.1. Here's what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now may I ask this question? Are you in Christ Jesus? If you're in Christ Jesus, if God by His Spirit has placed you in His Son through spiritual baptism... There's a spiritual baptism. You're talking about baptism down here. What you're doing in that baptism is, is indicating what has already been done spiritually in a person. We, want, we don't want to baptize people in water until they've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ of which Jesus is the head. He's the head of the body. And when we trust Jesus as our Savior, He incorporates us into His body. That's called the church. He's the head. We're members of the body. Now, I don't know who you are. You know, the, everybody's got a couple of heels in it. You know that. You know any members of the church that might be, have a gift of being a heel? <laughs> but the fact is that we are in Him. And if we are, there's no condemnation. Now, before you're saved, that's all you got. It rests upon you. Under him, under him that believes not is condemned already. Until a man comes to Christ, the condemnation of God is upon him. And he quits breathing, that's it. You see, people don't understand how desperate they should be about their soul, about their eternity. But wait a minute. There's therefore now no condemnation then which are in Jesus. Now, I would suggest to you that that's a sweet handful of honey there. But wait a minute. Romans 8, didn't, didn't, it didn't start out that way back in Romans 1. I mean, uh, listen, here's what happened in Romans 1. In verse uh, 22, for instance, it says, claiming mankind, now he's talking about mankind, uh, claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
and exchange. Now here's, here's what foolish people did. Mankind, they tr- exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God. Uh, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, is that not foolish? But humanity did it. They took the glory of God that they should have given to Him and they traded it away for idolatry. That's what it was. And here's what the Bible said, Therefore God gave them up. To what? To lust. The lust of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged, here they're exchanging something else. They exchanged this glory for those idols. Now they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's the way Romans starts out. You move on through it toward chapter 8 where it says there's no condemnation. But the Bible says in chapter 3 verse 10, there's none righteous, no not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seeks for God. Listen, no unsaved sinner will ever seek God. Jesus said, I've come to do what? Seek. I've come to seek and save. That not one sinner ever sought God on his own. Any more than a thief would run and find a policeman. Look, I'm a a thief. (laughs) You're a policeman. I'm glad to meet you. A sinner doesn't go for the sinless. Doesn't want that. The Bible said there's none that understand. There's none that seek God. He says all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The human race, as far as its condition before God and its relationship to God, is totally helpless. A sinful person can never extricate himself from his condition. He cannot do it any more than a leopard can change his spots or an Ethiopian change the color of his skin. That's what the Word of God says. And then he goes on to say, now, watch this. We know that whatsoever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Or what does it say? That every mouth may be stopped. That's Romans 3.19 if you keep it up. That every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You get that? So it's, I don't have any room for God. doesn't matter. You're walking toward Him right now. Sinner, you're walking toward Him. For the Scripture says, for from Him and for Him and to Him are all things. And every step an unsaved man makes is one step closer to a God for whom and to whom he will give an account. That's what the Word says. It's frightening. I got loved loved ones that they won't listen to me. They don't want to hear this. 
accountable to God. Yes. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law came the knowledge of sin. You know what God gave the law for, don't you? It wasn't to save you. You're not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. The law was given to prove the sinner that you were. The law was given to show, to completely, completely disarm you from your pride as to whether you could reach God by keeping His perfect law. Well, imperfect people can't keep perfect anything. The law was given that it would prove to a man he couldn't do it and he would look elsewhere for help. That's what the Bible says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth of his son, born of a woman, made under the law to do what? Redeem us from under the law. Read your Bible tonight, the Ten Commandments. Go to the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus and tell me how you fare before God's perfect law. Now, I'm reading with no condemnation. Well, where, what happened then? Between chapter 1, well, he goes on in verse chapter 3 to say this. But now, in light of all that we said about our sinfulness, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law says, yes, Jesus is right. The prophets said, yes, Jesus is right. Jesus is the one, not the law, not the prophets, Christ. You remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration? You remember who came? Moses, Elijah, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the prophet, the law. And Peter, very foolish, he said, well, let's make three tabernacles. How foolish that is. You don't put Jesus on the level with any prophet. And after a while, a cloud came over and those boys, Moses and Elijah, disappeared. And there's no one but Jesus. The Bible said when, they, when, when the cloud disappeared, they saw no one but Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. It's not Moses now. It's not Elijah now. It's not the law now. It's not the prophets. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. Well, that's what the Bible says here. That the righteousness of God has come through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We Christians don't get any idea that you're a stretch of a measure better than the man you live next door to. God hadn't saved you and you hadn't been regenerated by the Spirit of God. You'd be doing what he, your neighbor's doing. No pride. That's the reason the Bible said, For by grace you're saved through faith. That not of yourselves is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You ever think about going to heaven and somebody got there on his own works? Can you imagine how we would be bored for eternity listening to tell about how he got there by his works? Be a pitiful thing. You know, no boasting about going to heaven. The Bible says, All of sin and come short of the glory of God and are justified. By His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here's what God did. 
he put his son on the earth and he lived a life we couldn't live. He lived a perfect life. We couldn't, and he died a death we couldn't have died. We couldn't have, uh, we, we couldn't have died. He lived a perfect life. He went to a cross and died, not for himself. Wages of sin is death. He didn't sin. Why did he die? He died willingly for us. He's on the cross there for you and for me. And to prove God accepted his valuable, valid sacrifice, three days later he raised him from the grave. That's the receipt paid in full for our sins. Now, chapter 1 started out terrible. Chapter 5 gets to this. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith. Now, justified means this, folks. I don't have time to go into that, but justified means that you're, you stand before broken law and you can never unbreak it any more than you can put an egg back in a shell. You're, you're broken the law. You're guilty. And the Bible said, let your mouth be stopped. Don't argue about it. You're guilty. And so what hope do we have? Well, well this payment... That we, that we would should pay has been paid, and the Bible tells us that that God made him sin. God made him sin. He wasn't sin, but God made him that so that we might be made the righteousness of God in 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 Him. He gives it to us. He transfers it to us to our account. When we believe it, we receive it by faith. And he says this, not only are we justified by faith and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, but through him we also have by faith, we also have access by faith into his grace wherein we stand. Oh, this is such wonderful stuff. Now we come back to the honey. Romans 8 verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Any of y'all ever hear John Phillips preach? You know who he is. You've heard John Phillips at Atlanta Baptist, haven't you? John Phillips was an author, a terrific author. He was a good friend. Uh, we used to have him come to our church and preach, and, and he was an Englishman. Did you know that every Englishman I ever heard I thought was just intelligent? They're not, but just funny way they talk, you know. <laughs> and I loved to hear him. He, he had just, he was really an orator. But he had this story he just used to love to tell, and he'd tell it in connection with justification. That is, that God has forgiven our sin and accepted us as innocent, as though we never sinned. See, that's what God does when he forgives us of our sin. He, he puts Jesus' righteousness to our account. But John would tell about these Rolls Royce. Any of y'all own one? <laughs> if you do, boy, you got something. Because, you know, they tell me now, I don't know, they're handcrafted mainly. And uh, he said that they received no less than 32 coats of paint and lacquer. And when they, when they f- fix the paneling on the inside, they take a special log, a special tree that has been provided for this, I guess dried and all that, and cut it right down the middle. And they take the paneling from that, for that side, inside, you know, the doors, take the paneling from that side of the log, put it over there, and put the other side. So it'll match right across. And then they'll put some 
some of that wood on file. So if you ever scratch it, you can replace it exactly as it was. And uh, so an Englishman bought one of those things, you know, and he took it to the continent. He wanted to go to Germany and all the places, uh, France and Italy. And he had gone through Germany, but it broke down in France. He called them at London and said it's broken down. They put a man on a plane. He flew there, assessed the problem. He then flew back, flew back to London, got the piece that was going to fix it, repair it. They put the man up in the finest hotels available. They offered him all kinds of of apologies that it, you know, had happened. And uh, sent him on his way. So when he got home, it occurred to him that they had never sent a bill for the work. And so he contacted them and said, you've never billed me, and I'd like to get a, if you don't mind, I'd like to get an invoice and pay the bill. I'm sure it's quite expensive, all you went through. And in a few days, he got a letter from them, and here's what it said. It said, Dear Sir, we have searched all our files, and we have determined that so far as we can tell, we have never had anything go wrong with any of our automobiles. That's what God does in justification. You get this? You understand this? When God saves you, He justifies you before Himself and before His law, and He gives to you the righteousness of Jesus, and it says, though you had never, ever sinned the first time. And if the devil says, I know him, God says, uh, I've searched the records for Jim Stallings. I don't find any place in his life he ever sinned. It's forgiven. I've been justified. I'm guilty, yes. But he counts me justified like his son. This is the gospel. Oh, think about that for just, just a moment. Please, think about it. You're not going to heaven because you've done good. I, I hear people say that. It's the craziest thing I ever hear said. As though they're working to go to heaven. You're going to hell working for it, folks. Listen, if all you got is some kind of lousy work, you, you think, look, how many of you ladies, I tell you, you're you outdone yourself. I, this food, where did it come from? I mean, I know there wasn't that many ladies in the church. I mean, some of you must have cooked a truckload or something. I mean, how long was that table? 40, 50 feet long. And, I mean, it was just loaded on there. I went down through there, boy, just drooling. And, and then the dessert. But I tell you, some of you folks eat too much banana pudding. I'll tell you that right now. Because when I got there, there wasn't anything but a scrape. But whoever cooked it, in fact, one man said, if there's anybody ever go to heaven on the works, I'll be a woman invented the banana pudding. 
she ought to have the first seat in heaven. But that ain't going to happen either, is it? But the point I'm making is if there was some salad down there on the table and you knew for sure that the woman who cooked it had infected hands with some runny sores on them and she tossed the food with her hands, would you, would you get you a bowl of that? You'd avoid it like the plague. Well, that's what God sees when he sees us. He sees that our sin has contaminated us, and all that sinners can do is to sin. Now, this is Jesus' words. He says, he that sinneth is a servant of sin. He's a slave. And the only way we ever get out of slavery of sin is for him to come and take the chains away and set us free. No condemnation. Boy, that's a good bit of honey. Let me smack on it here for just a bit. But you hadn't seen anything. Look at that next thing, Romans 8, 28. I call that the honey of no complication. Not only is there no condemn, no condemnation, but for the Christian there's no complication. You read it yourself. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together how? For good. Good. Anybody else know that? Y'all not used to talking back, are you? I've been in my church so long, they finish sentences in my sermons. <laughs> if I pause trying to think of a man's name, bam, they'll say it. I asked Bob, I said, why do they do me that way? Makes me look like I can't hear. And she says, you can't. <laughs> but the point is that there's no complaint. How can God do that? How can, and listen, if you love God, here's what the Bible said, that all things work together for what? Wait a minute. Cancer? Baby's death? Wreck on the highway? Wreck on a motorcycle? All things what the Bible said. I know one preacher won't believe that. He says some things. Bad. Well, the Bible says even in your worst things we're to rejoice in it. In your trials rejoice in them. And the Bible says God works these things together, whoever loves you, for your good. You know where I first learned that when I was a student at Mercer? My wife taught school up at Alexander School right there above Mercer on the highway What's that go through? Highway 80, I believe it is, goes through Macon. And I had taken that old <laughs> 54 Oldsmobile that you couldn't drive it hard. You just had to almost aim it. The, the front end of it was terrible. And, and, but we didn't have any money. And, and I took it up to my friend's uh, service station, and he washed it and changed the oil in it and greased it all that. And she took it up to the school, parked it right on Highway 80, right in, in fact, her, her room was right where she could see the car. And I was going to get the car at 12 o'clock after I got out of school, and I was going up, it was on Wednesday, I was going up to the little church I preached at for Wednesday night. I went up to get the car, and it wasn't there. And I went in school, and I got her to come to the door. I said, what'd you do with the car? Where'd you park the car? She said, 
the car? I don't think, did I drive the car? And I said, I said, so where's the car? She said, oh, yes, I did. She said, it's right out there. And she pointed to an empty spot. And then I thought, she said, I must not have driven it. And all I remember is I'd taken it to the service station. So I called up like an idiot. And I said, have you got my car? Did I bring my car? He said, you brought your car up here yesterday. You didn't leave it. And I changed your oil and washed your car. It needed it. He just did that because he loved me. And I said, well, I don't know where it is then. Obviously so. So I wouldn't call the police. And, uh, boy, what was I down? I mean, it wasn't worth much. I mean, I don't know. It has way over 100,000 uh, miles. And uh, it was just in terrible shape. But it got me where I was going. And I, was, I called them and told them about it and gave them scrub. And I was sitting out on the front porch in a little apartment they used to put preachers in down at Mercy University. And I was sitting out I was really down. What am I going to do now? And, and the phone rang, and it was a policeman. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It wasn't long. They called and said they had found the car over in Sylvania, somewhere over there, further on east, and said, but it's wrecked. <laughs> said said it's, it's total. <laughs> I thought it was near that before he, before he stole it. But now they said it was completely total. Said, said uh, uh, we just wanted you to know about it. I don't know who, the, who it was, what they ever did to him or anything. But I was worse off then, sure enough, because it was wrecked and no hope of getting it back. But here's what I didn't know. I didn't know, Greg, that your grandfather had bought a, a fire and theft uh, insurance policy on that car. I didn't know that. And, and when, when she called, when your mom called home, to tell them the car was stolen, they said, well, you got insurance on it. Call the people. That was just like news from heaven. So I called the guy, and uh, he came out. He said, I'll be out two days later. I have to look at it. And he came. He was an Episcopalian guy, young guy, good-looking fella. I mean, he was slick as you'd want to see. And uh, he came in that little apartment where we were. And he started talking about this. And you're a Baptist preacher? Yes. And, uh, you know, I was trying to get to what he's, you know, the money. That's what I was wanting to get to. And he was wanting to know why I felt God called me. I mean, just wearing me out. And I I kept, you know, it's kind of urging him, let's hear what the situation. And he said, finally, he said, well, said, you know, preacher said, uh, I've given you the best I can. Said, said, this car, it was low mileage. I think 30,000 put me in a quandary. I just wondered, is I going to lie with him or to tell the truth? I said, listen, that's not 30,000. That's got to be 130,000. He said, I go by what I see. 30,000. Is there extra clean? I just had it washed. You should have seen it the day before. You know what he paid me? $729. And you know what I did with that? I took it down to the Chevrolet place and I bought a 1957 Impala. You remember things in old hoods? <laughs> You're talking about highfalutin. 
I just rolled it around the preacher's block time or two, hoping that it seemed. And I went up to see Wiley Cameron. I said, Wiley, come out here. I want to show you. And, and he said, what is that? I thought, it's a car. I got, I got a, I thought a new car. We went back inside. And he said, wait just a minute. Wait. I said, I got to go. He said, no, wait just a minute. He went in and got his keys and come out and put them in his old Studebaker. Put them in and said, I'm going to pray God will send somebody else to get mine tonight. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. But you know what I learned as a young preacher? I learned something valuable I've never forgotten. I've never forgotten that young man that came. I learned that God works things together beyond our ability, not just to do them, but even know them. I don't know if you know this or not, Jim. I don't know what your favorite cake is, but my favorite cake's the... It is, is the, the cake that they don't have to put too much sugar in, you know, the plain cake. I love those those plain cakes that people cook. They have different names for it, but I love them. But I'll tell you what, if I had to eat what's in those cakes piece by piece, I'd throw up. I mean, how would you like a good, just a good spoonful of flour? You imagine? You choked it out. What about a good raw egg? Yeah, that's what I say. What about just a big old chunk of butter? You can't, and the sugar, I guess, would be all right. But when they put that stuff together and mix it, Jim, it's wonderful. Those plain cakes are just wonderful. I mean, the batter of them. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. God takes some butter and slides it into your life, and you don't like it because you don't like the way it tastes. And he gives you a mouthful of butter, and you don't like a mouthful of flour, you don't like that. And, and, and you don't like that raw egg. See, those are the conflicts, those are the problems we have. But you know what you do? You mix that stuff together and then put it under heat. And that's what God does. He puts these things in our life and then he turns the heat up. Because you know what he's doing, folks? He is making us to be what he wants us to be. I want you to look at that verse, if you will. The Bible says, let me look at it. I'm going to have to hurry here now. God's purpose for you, do you know what it is? I'm going to tell you, every Christian in this building tonight, I'm going to tell you what God has in mind for you. The scripture says that he is going to conform you to the image of his son. The final result of every Christian is this. That's in verse Romans 8, 29, is to be made like him. And so many times we're not like him at all, are we? Not at all. Well, no complication, no, no, no condemnation, no complication. And then I like what he said here at the end, there's no separation. Isn't that wonderful? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That, friends, is honey. That's honey. Wonderful. Mm. One final thing I want to tell you. Not only do we have conflicts, and not only do we have confections, sweet things, but somehow we got to learn to communicate all of these things to other people. You know, we ought to do exactly what Samson did. You know what he did? He got the honey, and he tasted it. Now, see, you're not going to help anybody until you first taste the Lord. 
until you first come to know him. You, you'll be, you won't be telling anybody you can. But he took the honey and he tasted it. Did you know what he did? He shared it with others. How many times does Jesus tell people to go tell, go tell this, go tell this? Said to that old boy that had the demons, you know, had, how many had a legion of demons in him? And Jesus called them out and the demons came out squalling and crying. Oh, don't send us to the abyss. Let us go into the swine. And that's what he did. He let them go into the swine and they ran down the hill and did hogicide, you know. And it just upset everybody in town. Oh, they said, would you please leave this place? I want to tell you something, folks. He gave this honey to those that was the nearest to him. He ate it himself. He shared it with others. And he gave it to the nearest people, to his mother and his father. And here's the beautiful part. The beautiful part is he didn't have anything to carry it in. So you know how he carried it? You know what he did? Put it in his hands. You ever had honey in your hands? <laughs> I mean, how would that be? To have honey in your hands. How would you eat it? You know, like a melting ice cream cone. He filled his hands up with honey. He didn't have a gold platter. He didn't have a silver container. You don't have to have a biblical encyclopedic education to give folks honey. You just get honey and you take it to them. It's messy, really, in your hands only. But oh, how it sweetens the lives of those who partake of it. I went to a church just like this one. Just like this one. It reminds me of it. You know where it is? It's over in Harlem, Georgia. I don't know, I don't know why they named that town Harlem, Georgia. I always wondered. I asked them, they said they didn't know. And I went to that little church when I was a student at Mercer. And it was a homecoming they were having, like we had here yesterday. And there was an old gentleman sat over there kind of by himself. Uh, so I went over and sat by him. I talked to him some. And uh, after it was all over, I said to the preacher, I said, who was that I sat with and talked with? And he told me, he said, he is uh, the husband to one of our faithful women. She's been coming to church here for all her life, I think. And he comes every anniversary, every anniversary. And sometimes he'll come on Easter, maybe for a special day or something. And uh, I said, well, wh wh what is it about? He says, you never made a profession of faith. He, he said, you just, he's not into that much. And so I said to the preacher, let's go see him. You see, young preachers, are, they don't care. They'll just eat a bulldog if you, you know. They got more energy and less sense than any folks on, on, on this earth. And I said, let's go see him. And he says, well, you know, I don't think it'll do any good. I said, let's just see. So we went up there. 
and I don't know what highway that is, but it's a little house, kind of like a little mill village house sitting up on the hill. We drove up there, and he's sitting on the front porch and walked up on the front porch. He had on a white shirt. Well, it used to be white, but he chewed tobacco. And I mean, he popped it. I don't think it was teeth. I think it was gums. He'd pop in that, that tobacco, and boy, just brown specks <laughs> covered his white shirt. I said to him, I met you yesterday. Oh, yes. He said, I know. And I said, I've come to talk to you today. I felt like the Lord would be pleased coming and just sitting with you here a minute. We don't have long to service. And uh, I asked him, I said, I understand that your wife's a Christian, but you're not a Christian. And he kind of ducked his head a little bit. I said, you know, I said, I wish I could just talk to everybody give them the gospel and they come to know the Lord. I, I just wish I could do that. And I said, do you mind if I just share with you what I think is real about it for every man's life? He said, no, help yourself. And so I took out that little New Testament I used to carry and I went through it and I explained to him that Christ died for sinners. That he loves sinners. Not religious people who are prideful. He loves people who are who are sinners. And, and I went through this and, and I could tell he was, it, it, the Holy Spirit was really dealing with me. He was almost trembling. And, and I just said, sir, would you like to be saved? And tears began to flow down his face. He let off on that tobacco for a while. And he said, yes. Now, I don't know when you talk to folks and you may feel like they're being manipulated and all that business. And I don't like that. I don't want folks to think I'm manipulating anything. I just want to share the gospel with them. And I said, well, would you just, why don't you, we just kneel here and pray. Would you do that? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, I'd rather go inside. He didn't want his neighbors to see it again. And we went in. You've seen this house. It's got linoleum on the floor. It's got a little chain that runs across here where you hit that light when you go by, you know. You don't have to look for a switch. And he knelt down. Before I could, he knelt down and just crumbled. He began to weep. And he, he called. Listen, here's what he prayed. God, can you forgive a foolish old man like me? Will you save me? sweetest thing I think I've ever heard. And I said to him, of course he'll save you. His wife heard that and she came in and he got up and I got up and she grabbed us both and the preacher was so shocked he joined in. I mean, it's like a merry-go-round. <laughs> and I just, hey, I was enjoying it. Mr. Whitaker was his name. I don't remember many people's names, but I remember Mr. Whitaker. Because I prayed when I left that place, Lord, I hope you don't ever let me run by a Mr. Whitaker that needs to be visited that I miss. We can't witness to everybody. We're fools to say that. But we can witness to those we have opportunity to witness to. And you know what he said? And I was a young man, and I'm not given to emotion, but I cried on the way to the church. 
He took me and hugged my neck and he said, you're the first preacher that ever come to see me. And you're the first preacher that ever prayed for me. I said, Lord, send me to the Whitakers. <laughs> Keep me busy with the Whitakers. I mean, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to be religious. I want to help folks. I want to give them this message that saved my life and my soul. Folks, don't hide behind church membership. Please. Please. Don't hide behind hope so. Don't hide behind what you can do or who your father was. Come to Jesus. That's what he says. Jesus is there. He says, come to me. You come to me. He didn't say come to the church. He said, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll take your burden. I'm going there in just a short time. I'm, I'm going to take care of it. Come to me. That's what I say to you tonight. Right where you are. Right where you are. You can bow your head. And with what's been put in your mind. And what has stirred your heart tonight perhaps. You could say God save my soul. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want. I want to glorify you. I want you to be glorified. I want you to save me Lord. And he does it every time. Never rejected anybody. There'll never be anybody in hell that wanted to go to heaven. Never. Trust him now. Father. Oh, Father. I pray for our people here tonight. We thank you for the wonderful people we've met here this week. For this pastor who has a yearning to serve the Lord in this place. For these deacons that help him and encourage him. For the members here who've long ago trusted the Savior. I pray for those who may not be saved. That you'll call them in such a way that they'll willingly come to trust you. Even today or soon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Pastor, service is yours.